Dr. Michael Roizen. Dr. Michael Roizen. You, the Owner's Manual Radio Show. Every now and then on this program, I get to interview someone who I've wanted to interview and who's literally built a new hypothesis, a new format, and has changed medicine dramatically. And that's our guest today. Dr. Richard Johnson is a professor of medicine at the University of Colorado Entrance Medical Campus. He's my pick for this. Every now and then the producer lets me pick one, and he's in the Division of Renal Disease and Hypertension. But the interview is all about why we are obese and why now versus 1974 that we're obese. For the last 20 years, he's been both a clinician and medical scientist, NIH funded, and has studied the role of, and I'm going to make a specific comment, it's not sugar in general, but fructose. And he and I share one joy, and that is allulose. But we'll come back to that maybe in the end. We are sponsored by Life's First Naturals, lifesfirstnaturals.com, the makers of TrueBiotics and Bovine Colostrum, nothing to do with fructose, and longevityplaybook.com, our own website, which of course abhors fructose. And you'll see why. Because Richard has been a major force in our understanding. So, Richard, thank you first. And what role does fructose have in obesity and why? Yes. Okay. So let's begin. Fructose is a sugar. It's in honey and fruit, which we think of as healthy, right? But it's also in table sugar, and it's also in this sweetener, high fructose corn syrup. Added sugars, or you know, high fructose corn syrup and table sugar, are added to so many foods that we are inundated with sugar and high fructose corn syrup, something like 75% of processed foods. And when did that start? Because we didn't have it all our life. It wasn't in the 40s we didn't have high fructose corn syrup, did we? No. So if you go back, way back to 1700, sugar was so expensive that people could only, the average intake was four pounds of sugar a year. By 1800, it was about 18 pounds. And then in the 1800s, they started producing more and more sugar. And by 1900, we were eating 90 pounds of sugar a year per capita. By 1960, it got to 140 or 150 pounds. And then high fructose corn syrup came to the scene in the 1970s and 1980s. And when the high fructose corn syrup hit the scene, it was supposed to replace sugar, but actually sugar intake did go down, but the net effect was to increase the added sugar intake even more. And it's been extraordinarily high. Some people are eating 25% of their diet from sugars. The average intake today is about 15%. Most of the fructose we get comes from table sugar and high fructose corn syrup. And we don't really get very much fructose from fruits. And just to say up front, 
natural fruits are healthy because the small amount of fructose present isn't enough to cause the big problems if you're only eating one or two fruit at a time. If you're drinking a big glass of fruit juice where you're putting five fruit in there, it's different, okay? But natural fruits have fiber, potassium, and other things that counter the effects of fructose. So it's okay to eat natural fruit. But when I talk about fructose, I'm talking mainly about the fructose from sugar and high fructose corn syrup. The other thing, Mike, is that our group discovered that the body can make large amounts of fructose. And we make fructose from only carbs. So when you're in a high-carb diet, you're making fructose from the glucose, from the carbs, from the starch, from the rice, from the potatoes, from the bread, okay? You can make that fructose if you're diabetic because you have high glucose in your blood. And you can make, you particularly make it when you're eating, you know, a lot of bread and, and, and starchy foods. Now, people will ask me if they eat 100% whole grain, let's say whole grain bread, and they have a slice, do they make fructose from the whole grain bread as it dissolves slower? So it relates to the concentration of glucose that gets to the liver. So if you eat a piece of bread right before the meal, where there's no other food around, that bread breaks down to glucose, the starch breaks down to glucose in your gut, you absorb that glucose, it hits the liver like a wave, and that will make fructose. And your glucose level will go up in the blood. So if you have one of these things called a CGM, a continuous glucose monitor, you can actually see this blip of glucose. You know, normal fasting glucose is like 90 and then when you're eating some bread, maybe it'll go up to 120, 130, 140. Once it gets up in that 120, 130 range, we believe it starts making fructose. We have some pretty good evidence for that. So it also stimulates insulin. And so insulin's not good, right? We all know that eating a lot of carbs is not good because of insulin, but it's also not good because of fructose. So fructose can come from two major sources. One, from the sugars we eat mainly sweets that are put in processed foods, soft drinks. And the other is from carbs, you know, like rice, sushi. We love sushi, but the rice raises the glucose, makes fructose. And so it's the same story as, you know, high carb diets will make fructose. So those are the two main sources. And now why is fructose bad? What does it do that that makes us weak? Yeah, so it turns out we did huge amount of science on this. We studied animals in the wild. We studied laboratory mice. We studied humans. So we we done extensive research, and what our work suggests very strongly is that glucose and fructose have two different functions. Glucose is really the fuel that we use to drive our bodies when we eat glucose, it's like one of the main fuels our body uses to make energy. Fructose, though, is a fuel that was meant to stimulate weight gain and to stimulate storage of fat, storage of energy, not to use the energy right away, but to store it. 
And the way it works is really fascinating. The way it works is normally when we eat food, you're using it to make energy. And there's really two types of energy. There's the energy we're using and the energy we store. And when you eat glucose, the preference is to try to use it for energy immediately. But when you eat fructose, it tries to store the energy instead of make it. And the way it works is that fructose reduces the active energy in the cell, but only a little. So we call that active energy ATP. So it will reduce that ATP you know, like 25%. And fructose uses the energy in the cell because it is metabolized in a process that uses the ATP. That's correct. And becomes fructose 1-phosphate, and that's using an ATP. So it's easy to think of it as fructose steals your ATP. Yes. So when fructose is being metabolized, it's, it uses ATP, but it uses it so rapidly. And glucose uses ATP too, but it uses it very slowly. And it has these feedback systems to prevent the ATP from falling. But fructose doesn't. So if you eat a lot of fructose, the ATP falls. And then there's a trick. And the trick is when that falls at a certain level, it activates a whole side reactions where the ATP, instead of being regenerated, the ATP is degraded to uric acid. And the uric acid goes up in the cell and it acts on the energy factories to slow the energy production. So the energy factories are called mitochondria and they make ATP, but the energy factories are turned down by the uric acid. So the uric acid goes up, turns down the energy factory, so there's less energy being made. And that is a protection to the organism. So when it goes into a low energy mode, everything slows down, the metabolism slows down, and there's this kind of protection that it's like the organism thinks, oh my God, there's a shortage of energy. My gas tank is half full. I'm going to drive slower. I'm going to be more careful, and I'm going to try to get more gas as soon as possible. And so it stimulates hunger. It stimulates foraging. It stimulates food intake. And it also blocks satiety, so you, you eat more. So it's like turning on the system to replace that ATP. Let's do this slow, Richard. I'm going to do it slow because this is really important. I don't want people to miss it. So I'm going to repeat it, and you correct me if I'm not repeating what you're saying. Fructose creates a energy shortage in the cell, and it creates uric acid. That low-energy mode in the cell makes the cell say, hey, I need to eat more. And you eat more and get fat. Right. And the reason that happens is as you eat more energy, you eat more food, those are calories. And the calories come in, but the ATP productions reduce. So the energy has to go somewhere, right? Because it's coming in, but the factories to make active energy are working at half speed. So the energy gets shunted into fat. Now, if you don't have uric acid produced, that is, if you decrease uric acid production, and we'll go into that in a second, does that avoid this getting fat? 
No, because it's only one of several systems in the cell responding to the fructose. So it's a very important one. And if you lower uric acid, you do protect, but you don't abolish. So in other words, if you lower uric acid, you can reduce the gaining of fat in the animal. You can reduce the insulin resistance. And also in humans, we have studies in humans showing this as well. So lowering uric acid does provide some protection including in clinical trials that we have run. But it's not, you know, huge compared to what you might hope for. It turns out that when the fructose is working, it's dropping the energy four or five different ways. And, that, you know, it inhibits an enzyme called AMP kinase, for example. It's very complicated. There are five mechanisms by which fructose lowers the energy in the cell. Now, why did we evolve to develop this? Can we avoid it by our dietary choices? First, why did we evolve? And I know I'm setting you up, so. (laughs) Yeah, you are. (laughs) Apologize. And by the way, I've got to say, we are talking to one of my idols, if you will, Richard J. Johnson, who's a physician and is the author of the book, Nature Wants Us to Be Fat which went on sale about a year ago and is just outstanding. Nature wants us to be fat where he reviews all this, but you're getting a short course on it. And I'm trying to prep Richard to uh, be able to give us that short course. So forgive me for giving him softballs. (laughs) Why did we evolve this? Well, Well, the first thing to know is that when we were trying to figure out you know, how obesity is driven. Everybody is thinking of obesity as a disease and diabetes as a disease. And we said, hey, there are animals in the wild that purposely become diabetic and obese just for short times. For example, the bear, when it knows that winter is coming, right? In the fall, it will suddenly change its behavior. Normally during the summer, it will regulate its weight. It will, you know, it, if it eats more one day, it'll eat less the next. It's, you know, it's controlling its weight. It's what we call leptin sensitive because leptin is this hormone that we use to keep our weight at a regular weight. But then what happens is in the fall, suddenly this biologic switch happens where boom, suddenly in a period of a week or so, the bear will start eating twice what it normally eats and it will gain huge amounts of weight, become insulin resistant, put fat in its liver, put fat in its blood. It will develop obesity and it does that for a purpose because when winter comes, it will there's no food around and it will hibernate. And it will hibernate when it hibernates, it won't be eating, it won't be drinking, And so it has to live off its fat. It lives off the stored energy. And interestingly, when that fat is burned, it produces ATP, which you need, but it also produces water. So it actually produces the water that the animal needs while it's hibernating because fat, when it's burned, produces water. Richard, I I can't remember reading this, so you'll have to tell me. Does the bear change the foods it eats, or just eating more? No. In other words, it, it eats salmon, right? Yeah, well, they love salmon. And actually, so it turns out that you can activate this switch. The biggest way is by fructose. 
And that's what we're talking about. Fructose, what happens is in the fall, the fruit trees start to ripen, especially the berries. And we believe that the trigger for the bear that makes it, and it becomes leptin resistant and everything, is suddenly it eats like tons of fruit. Now, not the one fruit we eat. It'll eat 10,000 berries or grapes in a in a 24-hour period. It, it eats huge amounts of fruit. But there's another thing, and I'm glad you brought this up, and that is that there is one other way you can activate this biologic switch, and that is by eating foods that raise uric acid. When you do that, you sort of bypass the fructose. So lots of huge amounts of meat, like salmon and so forth, but particularly there's seafoods of different types and rich meats. If you eat huge amounts, you can raise your uric acid. But that only works if you're eating carbs because although the uric acid can activate the switch, one of the ways it helps is by amplifying the effects of fructose. So it's really an amplifier. So the main mechanism we think is eating the fruit, but eating a lot of foods, certain foods can actually come back and amplify it. So eating fructose foods, and you see this, if I don't read the labels of the bread I buy, it says 100% whole wheat, but then there's some fructose added. And if I don't read the labels, they sneak in high fructose corn syrup. Yeah, they can. They can put it in breads. You know, it's very common. You know, you go to different restaurants and they bring these like delicious buns and breads. And then you'll go, wait a second, it tastes sweet. And they've added high fructose corn syrup. But the other problem is that breads in general can raise glucose levels. And so that can also be converted to fructose. There are ways to slow that down there. There are tricks. You know, for example, if you eat a, a piece of bread and you put avocado on it or so forth. Or olive oil. Or olive oil. Yeah, great. Yeah, do the olive oil. That will slow the absorption of the carbs. It comes down to the carbs. Fructose can only come from carbs. And although the umami or the uh, uric acid pathway can play a role, the big mechanism is carbs and fructose, and the carbs get converted to fructose. That is for sure what seems to be driving this. So we've taught people now one thing that is major to avoid, and I don't want people avoiding salmon. They know I eat. Yes, I love salmon too. Yeah, I, feel- I eat probably eight ounces on average a day of wild salmon. But it's not to avoid that. It's to avoid the high fructose corn syrup and the carbs. So we've taught them that'll make them fat and cause inflammation. Yes, you're absolutely right. I do agree with you. You know, salmon is full with omega-3 and has wonderful things. I love salmon. So that was probably the wrong thing for me to talk about. But it is true. If you raise uric acid, you can amplify the pathway. So, but anyway, yes. Now I want to go, I want to go to a, we only have a limited time and I apologize. So I've got to have you back about three more times to go through this, but I want to go through, you also have a recent paper called Can Alzheimer's Disease Be a Malabsorption of an Evolutionary Survivor Pathway Mediated by Intracerebral Fructose and Uric Acid Metabolism? Let me simplify the title is, Can Fructose Contribute to Alzheimer's and Dementia? You know, the evidence for this is really incredible. 
it's been known that, you know, Alzheimer's is this disease where you get these amyloid plaques in the brain. The brain shrinks. It's the most horrible disease. Treatment aimed at reducing the plaques hasn't been that successful. But if you look at early on in Alzheimer's disease, you'll see a characteristic finding, which is that the brain is developing insulin resistance and low ATP levels. And remember, that is what fructose does. And if you look first, people with Alzheimer's have a history of eating a lot more sugar than others. They eat a lot more carbs and they eat a lot more salty foods, but especially carbs and sugar. So there's already that association. There's an association of Alzheimer's with being diabetic or obese, which are things that we think of that high fructose can do. If you put an animal on sugar, they have trouble walking through a maze. They have trouble. They start developing insulin resistance in the brain. Their ATP levels go down in the brain. And the brain starts, over time, they start getting amyloid plaques even. It looks like it can be the cause. And if you measure fructose levels in the brain, patients with Alzheimer's have high fructose levels, like five to six-fold higher than others, age-matched. So does this mean a ketogenic diet will be beneficial? I believe it will. I think a ketogenic diet would be beneficial. I think it should be really considered as a treatment. I also think that cutting back on sugar, I think that cutting back on high fructose corn syrup, on high carb foods will help. Drinking water helps. This last week, a new paper came out where they blocked, they took mice that were diabetic that developed dementia and they blocked fructose. They showed that fructose was being produced in the brain and they blocked the metabolism of it and they could prevent dementia. That just came out like a week ago. And how do they, what did they do to block the fructose in the brain? Can we all you do that? Well, there is an enzyme called fructokinase that triggers the whole fructose pathway. And a holy grail would be to, to find a way to block that. Without causing other problems. Right. And people who lack, there are people born without fructokinase. And they don't get obesity or diabetes. And I don't think any have been reported to have Alzheimer's. So it's been a holy grail. There are big pharma that are actively trying to make fructokinase inhibitors. I have a tiny little company of scientists. We've been working on this since 2012. We're trying to make a fructokinase inhibitor. And, you know, so there's a lot of groups that are trying. And if we could get one, it would be amazing because if you give a the inhibitor to an animal, they lose their craving for sugar, for example. They even lose their craving for alcohol. They still like alcohol. They'll still like sugar, but they just don't crave it. Is there a way of taking the fructose out of our food and keeping it sweet? That is, there are two sugars that are, have recently started to be produced, allulose and triolose. And they both seem to have what effect? Yeah, so let's talk about that. So is there an alternative to sugar? And, you know, there's all these artificial sugars and low-calorie, non-nutritive sweeteners. You know, you've heard about sucralose or Splenda. You've, you've heard about aspartame. You've heard about stevia. 
they all seem to have some issues. As you probably know, There's uh, we don't have time to go through them. Many of them don't cause weight gain, but they do have other issues that people have been bothered by. But recently, there's been a, some natural sugars that have been identified. These are called rare sugars because they're normal and they're in foods. It's just that no one has really looked at it as a substitute. And one of them's called allulose. And, uh, you know, I do have to do a disclaimer. Uh, I just have started working part-time for a company that does market allulose. And the reason I did that is because allulose looks extremely interesting, and I'm interested in the science of allulose. And allulose looks like fructose. It looks just like fructose, except that it doesn't activate the switch. And so it doesn't trigger all these changes. And in fact, when you give allulose to animals, it seems to actually benefit them. They reduce their glucose loads. It stimulates weight loss. It may actually stimulate GLP-1, which is that hormone that these new drugs are being used to treat weight loss. So it looks like a very, you know, interesting sugar. I'm hoping to, you know, at some point do a big clinical trial. I would like to study hundreds of people on this and see how how it works in terms of... So we, we do know you can make allulose now from the Japanese about 10 years ago came with a way of converting fructose to allulose. It is when you use it in recipes, at least when, when I've tried to do that, that had sugar just as an experiment, you need about one and a half times the allulose compared to the sugar. So if it calls for two grams of sugar or whatever it would be, or two tablespoons of sugar, it would be three tablespoons of allulose for those of you trying to do it. Yeah, it's it's wonderful that something good can come out of something evil. <laughs> the allulose can be made from fructose and it can be used in cooking and sweets. And yeah, there are more and more products. Richard, we have to, I am way over time. We have to have you back, but you can see why Richard Johnson is one of my idols. He has evolved this theory and the data that supports that, in fact, our evolution of trying to prevent hunger has led us to, in fact, get fat. And the advent of high fructose corn syrup which, of course, was so strong in the 70s with the development of soft drinks and other things, please do avoid it. Read the label. If it says high fructose corn syrup, corn sugar, anything like that on it, you should avoid it like the plague. And you heard that it sounds like that having protein and fat to a predominance in diet with some a little bit of fruit and a lot of veggies may be, in fact, the ideal diet for us going forward. Absolutely. Yes, I agree with that completely. So this has been 1177B. And of course, our sponsors are Life's First Naturals, the makers of True Biotics and Bovine Colostrum. Go to lifesfirstnaturals.com and longevity playbook. Richard, you're on for a couple more sessions. Even though we haven't signed you up officially, this is so wonderful. Thank you. Those of you who are staying with us all this time, 
Thank you for downloading us. Tell your friends about us. This is 1177B. And by the way, 1176B was just outstanding as well. These are two of the best sessions I can ever remember having. And it's not because the interviewer is getting better. Thanks again. Uh, So we have to thank our uh, producer, Donna Gould, for selection of our guests. Thanks again for you as our downloaders. You are who motivate us. What motivates us is helping you stay younger longer. So just avoid that high fructose corn syrup and fructose in general and even sugar in general. No added sugar, no added syrups, no simple carbs. Thanks very much. We'll see you next week. And if you do that, you'll be with us longer.